Joel Junker here with uh, Cameron Brooks alumnus Mike Marukian. And Mike is a regional manager in sales for Michelin. Made the transition in uh, November of 2016. A former Army officer that uh, uh, left the military from Germany. And Mike, thanks for driving three, four hours uh, to, to do the podcast. This is the first time we've done a video podcast. So some of the, the listeners might be doing a, just the voice, but... Other people can get to look at you and see that you can grow a beard when you when you leave the military if you want. Freedom. So I appreciate you making the effort to come down here. So I, I always like to start off the podcast just give the give a backgrounder uh, to the audience so they have some context on on who Mike Marukian is and what you do at Michelin. Sure thing. So first off, thanks for having me here. Oh, yeah. It's great to be here in Fredericksburg, beautiful part of the state. So uh, my background, though, so I graduated from the University of South Carolina in 2011. I'm an Army ROTC grad. And I was an infantry officer while I was in the Army for my five and a half years. I uh, spent most of that time in Germany, aside from the basic officer course. Uh, and I served as a uh, platoon leader, as a company executive officer, as a battalion uh, S4 or logistics officer. And then I had a bit of a, a unique deviation of my career in the Army where I actually did a company command for a, uh, a garrison uh, headquarters company there in Bavaria prior to getting out and going to the Cameron Brooks Conference in uh, November of 2016. Um, I accept a job with Michelin uh, North America and a program that we'll get into a bit more later. And I currently serve, or I'm, my current position is a regional sales manager for our business to business product line. So think of any sort of tire or service that would serve a, uh, an end user fleet that is carrying freight, an oil and gas customer, maybe a fleet that is helping or is, is the arm of a grocery store company to deliver their products. Additionally, my sales reps cover uh, earth mover mining tires as well as agricultural products. And we had dinner last night. You said that when you were thinking about leaving the the, the army, you weren't thinking like, "Hey, I want to get out there and sell tires." <laughs> um, so tell, uh, explain to the the listeners, or tell me how you made your choice to uh, on the why Michelin mm -hmm. and into into the sales organization with Michelin. So there were a lot of great companies at the conference, and uh, the decision was really difficult. I know there was a lot of conversation I had with you, with Chuck, and really going back and forth and deciding what was best. What made me ultimately decide to go with Michelin was the program that they offered there. Uh, the position was the Global Leadership Program, and the intent of it was to really rotate a, a junior military officer or a, a recent MBA graduate around the business for two years with my focus on sales and marketing. They additionally, they had a program focused on industry and manufacturing that other candidates accepted positions for, uh, but I felt sales and marketing was a good fit. My background with my undergraduate degree in political science, I felt that I wanted a broader exposure to the business world and this program was going to give me that, where if I went into a, a specific role, which would have been uh, very good, no doubt as well, uh, I wouldn't have gained that holistic exposure to Michelin's business model. What would your advice be to uh, other officers that are thinking about their transition in terms of, again, you didn't really think that, hey, when I get out, I'm going to go into sales. And if you're thinking sales, because the majority of what we represent is medical device sales, you weren't thinking like heavy equipment, tire type of sales. What would your advice be to, to those that are you know, thinking about this transition or if they already decided to make the transition and they got an idea of what they think they may want to do? Mm -hmm. I'd say understand what your values are and what you find fulfilling um, you know if you really really enjoy 
that team leadership role, that operational environment, you're probably going to be a better fit in some sort of either sales operations role or maybe a manufacturing fit. If you uh, enjoy the autonomy that comes with a role like a sales position, so me and my 10 sales reps, we all work out of our houses, we're in the field, we're in the market with the customer, that would be something uh, that would be a better fit for you in that piece. One of the things I would say is, is give all the industries that you're exposed to at the conference and beforehand uh, a chance. One of the things that I've learned in my current position selling you know, really tires at the end of the day, uh, I'm exposed to so many different companies and industries. Some of our, our customers are Bluebell Ice Cream, uh, Elon Musk, SpaceX is a customer of mine in Waco. There's other, you know, Kroger, Walmart's transportation, then there's mining companies and farmers. And you talk to all of these different industries and, and it's incredibly complex what they do. I was talking to a, um, a fleet maintenance manager for a, a fuel and uh, oil company who had previous exposure in the transportation business for baked goods and he was telling me about how they actually would measure the density of a muffin so they could understand <laughs> how much they could fit and try to reduce cost to make sure all these muffins were meeting the standards that they wanted. Right. Um, you know, I know Chuck has his story about the baby carrot manufacturing. So there's all these different industries that are incredibly complex in tires as well. Uh, and they really, there's a lot of challenges presented there. And I think there is a, a, a really a chance for fulfillment in any of these industries that you get yeah. into. And when we chatted last night, you described how complex the even a tire sale. One would think that it's just really easy, right? Walmart says we need 1,000 tires, and so we need 1,000 tires. 1,000 tires cost X. Maybe you get a discount. But you were describing how they're going to go to the distributor who really works with them on other things, is helping them with fleet vehicle maintenance, and there's all sorts of discount. There's just all complexity of this sale that you never really recognized before. Right. So if, I, if you don't mind, I want to back up and you know paint the picture with the two main sides of our business. So we sure. have the business to consumer, the B2C side. Which we all, which that's is, us. That's what we would put on our cars. Right. And, you know, it's, it's you go to a discount tire or a Costco, Sam's Club, you get your tires mounted there. Really, that side of the business is more like a retail model, right. like anyone who's selling any sort of consumer good. You're focusing on the fight for the shelf space there and incentivizing those distributors to sell your product. Uh, so my team and I, we don't focus on that. We're focusing on the business-to-business -business side where, um, you know, uh, where you think that tires are more commoditized on right. the B2C side. On the B2B side, there's a lot of different. It's um, when you look at the when you look at what a, a trucking fleet or a transportation's fleet cost structure looks like, behind fuel, tires are the second biggest line item on their, on their belt. And they do f impact fuel economy. And it impacts fuel economy, right? And so what we have to do, Michelin being a premium product, priced usually 20% higher than our competition, we can't simply go into a fleet and ask them to buy our products. We have to go in and understand their business, understand their routes, understand who their customers are, what are the KPIs that they're monitoring to figure out what the good fit is for their vehicles. There's additional uh, technical aspects of a, a fleet that's going coast to coast is going to need a different product than one that's delivering around an urban area and stopping and starting all day. But we have to sell uh, value based on maybe they want complete runout mileage based on uh, their, their, their trade cycle on their original equipment vehicles. They might want fuel economy. We have to look at what's their emergency roadside network look like because if a truck is down yeah, inside the road, by that. Right, there's yeah. dollars that are just going away from them then they might not meet their delivery times. And so it's, it's incredibly complex managing just that side of the business. Then there's another side of the business where we're interacting with our distributors and having to understand what their bottom line looks like. How do they make money? Um, one of the complexities for us is that 
our distributors make the least margin on our product compared to a cheaper product. So we have to balance having that good relationship with the fleet to create the demand in the marketplace, while at the same time uh, pushing that through the dealer. And distributor sales was a little bit hard for me when I first came to Camera Rooks to really wrap my head around. Mm -hmm. So just to explain for the, the listeners, there's Michelin, who's the original equipment manufacturer, and then a distributor who sells to ultimately to Walmart. So you are selling to distributors who then sell to Walmart, but you have a, you, you got your sales reps going over to Walmart to create that pull from the distributor, but also encouraging your distributors to sell your product. And that, that distributor is a multiplier for you because they have contacts with more mm -hmm. companies. So I just wanted the listeners to understand that. I want to go back to this other point that where you have unique aspects of your tire, because I really was thinking the tire is a tire, yes, it's a better quality, but last night you were telling me that you even have a tire for agriculture that will not crush corn stalks mm -hmm. for the agriculture people, so this tire is specifically manufactured, mm -hmm. so after the corn has been raised, mm -hmm. and they're down, that is growing through the field, it's not going to crush the corn, it's like something that I never even really thought of, like, yeah, I guess it's probably important to do. To well, not crush the corn stock. So right. how do you manufacture a tire that does that? Right. Well, I mean, we were talking about the different key performance indicators right. that we have to understand our customers look at. The agricultural side is really interesting because you want to have a tire that you can run at the lowest possible PSI because that actually lowers the amount of soil compaction in that farmer's field, which then we can sell to them as, hey, this is going to increase your yield per acre. Right. Um, we're talking about the corn piece where it's, you know, after they've cut that, those corn stalks, it's very sharp. They call it stubble. And so a tire that is inflated more is going to be less resistant to that and more likely to puncture. Um, you can look at even more interesting KPIs on our earth mover, on our mining and quarry side. We use a metric called ton miles per hour, which is basically how fast this vehicle can move in regards to the tonnage that they're carrying, right, which is their revenue producing right, right. information or their revenue producing metric. And making sure that that tire can sustain those speeds because if it goes too fast, it'll actually catch on fire. And these are, you know, some of these tires are $75,000 a piece. I was just going to say, tell the listeners how much a yeah. tire costs for the mining industry. Yeah, I mean, $75,000 and I mean, it lasts for five years. I mean, so it's one of the, it's a sale that you have to make it or you lose that position, that wheel position to right. a competitor for a long right. time. So you're talking there's about $300,000 worth of tires on some of these earth moving pieces of equipment. I'd say even more, you know, sometimes, yeah, if they have, you know, if they're double axle ends or anything along of those lines and the vehicles themselves cost a million dollars right see what this is what's always exciting for me and what I do is in business and this at Cameron Brooks is I learned so much but even last night when we were chatting and preparing for today um, I was thinking okay tires Michelin you just know known for quality durability and that's probably what you're selling on and then when you were talking about just in case the listeners missed that Farmers, the way you're selling it to farmers is that they're going to get higher yield out of their soil for their crops by using a Michelin product because it's going to put less pressure as as their farm equipment's going across it. I I would unless we have people that are listening to this or families in farming industry agriculture, I don't think anybody would have ever thought like the way you sell a tire to a far, uh, to the agriculture industry is to talk about yield on their crops because the tires the pressure will, will take that down. So I think that's just a great story on the complexity of, of that. Let's go backwards, because I think some people will be curious of this. What's the major reason you decided to leave the Army? Mm -hmm. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was stationed in Army Europe, and um, you know I really accomplished everything I wanted to in my military career. You know I had been an infantry officer, I had been uh, deployed to Afghanistan, and I had actually gotten to do a company command as well. And 
really, when I was looking forward, I said, okay, that responsibility that I want, it's probably not going to be as, you know, the, the, the increase in responsibility is not going to be there. I wanted a new challenge. Um, so then I think, you know, most military officers, when they're getting out, you have, there's generally three choices that people are looking at. There's the government job route, which I knew I wanted absolutely nothing to do with. There was uh, the full-time MBA route, and then there's going into the workforce route. I decided that I didn't want to go directly into an MBA program because I knew that with my lack of business background, my undergraduate education, as well as lack of formal ex or on-the-job experience with business, I didn't think that I would get the most out of that program because I wouldn't have any context to tie it to. Sure. Additionally, it would have put me in a class, and I'm, I'm seeing that now with uh, the executive MBA program that I'm in, that you know, going straight into grad school out of the military would have put me with a cohort of smart people, no doubt, but people maybe who didn't have experience either. Uh, so where the current one that I'm in, while I'm working, is, it allows me to draw on their experience as well and provide other insights. And so that's when I looked at the headhunter uh, route, or the, the military placement firm route, because uh, being in Europe, I'd say it's very hard to build that network there. Mm -hmm. And um, I really looked at, obviously, multiple options. And, you know, just like Michelin is for tires, I recognize Cameron Brooks as the premium product, the premium uh, player within the industry. And, uh, you know, I met you and was really impressed by the professionalism and the presentation that you guys put together, really the business case that of why to get out and what the ROI would be. Um, so ultimately, I decided to get out of the military after five and a half years. And what was your favorite aspect of the, the Cameron Brooks program from the time you just partnered with us up up till the conference, if you take phase one, if you will, of the Cameron Brooks program? What did you, what did you find the fa your favorite part or the most valuable? I'd say working one-on-one, -on -one, and it was it was you every time since you were coming out to Frankfurt at the uh, at the time. You know, as we as every you know military officer knows, we have no experience writing a resume. We have no experience doing conducting a job interview. It feels very awkward to conduct a job interview. So being able to talk to you, get feedback, and then work with other JMOs who are getting out of the military to practice that was by far the most valuable piece of, uh, of the Cameron Brooks program, in my opinion, because by the time I got to the conference, I was 90% there to where I needed to be, and then after that first interview in the morning, I, it clicked, and I was yeah. ready to go. Um, and so, I mean, that was just, it was, the value to that is it's hard to put a dollar amount on that. You know, what is the overall value of the, not a dollar amount, but what value did you find in the Cameron Brooks conference and the follow-up process? Mm -hmm. So the conference, because uh, if you remember, I was, leaning towards sales, but I wanted to get exposed to some of the consulting, the other business analytics and, and manufacturing roles as well. And being able to, because I did 15 interviews in two days. Wow. And so I, it was a lot. And you you kind of helped me with that that morning because I was a little uh, a little overwhelmed and you said, hey, Mike, you can do this, which was, uh, that was one piece of value. <laughs> but getting exposure to different companies and different cultures in a short period of time helped me decide what I did and didn't want to do. Um, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but there was three interviews that I did there that were not sales oriented originally, including Michelin, actually. Yeah. And they ended up Michelin started out the GLP from the standpoint of more of the manufacturing side. Correct. Not sales. Okay. Correct. And there was that and two other interviews that ended up becoming uh, interviews for sales positions okay. later on. And so getting that exposure to uh, a wide variety of jobs and industries really helped me decide where I wanted to go and helped me ultimately make the correct choice for my career. Um, what would your advice be to junior officers that are in the Cameron Brooks program that are like month 
two months, three months out from their career, their career conference? I'd say work with the study group. Um, I was lucky to work with a, a couple of really bright uh, other JMOs and we would meet every Sunday. We'd just go to a coffee shop and we would focus on our, our interview answers. Typically, we looked at the different you know, position descriptions that Cameron Brooks had put together and we had the generalized answers, not memorized of course, but the general answers for how I'm going to answer a tell me about yourself for a sales interview versus an operational interview versus a consulting interview. And being able to recognize which answer is appropriate for the position uh, was, was huge. And so the only way to get that, I feel, in my opinion, is to actually go and do those study groups because, you know, we get the feedback from you, it's, but that, you know, there's only a, a few of you and you have a lot of bases that you're covering. Right. So working with your peers on that is, is the advice I would give. So at the conference, what would you say to somebody that is, that, you know, is heading to the June conference when they get there, uh, some, a, prep, a, a hack to some sort of tip or hack that they can be successful that you found useful? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, get some sleep beforehand. Okay. Because uh, it's definitely, it's definitely a, yeah. uh, an exhausting couple of days. Um, be ready to manage your time because you're going to get a lot of, uh, or, you know, the JMOs, they get a lot of uh, literature on the different companies and there's just with the time constraints that are, that are going to be there, there's no way that you're going to be able to absorb every single piece of information during that time. So make sure you have a good timeline for those first few nights and really just focus on it. Put the phone off to the side sure. and focus on having that information ready so you can ask good questions in the interview. Um, because that will really, I think, help you get a feel if, you know, ideal situation, you get a yes from everybody, then you understand who you want to go after when it comes to the follow-up interviews because you've gotten a better feel for that company. And any other advice from the standpoint of making a career decision, ultimately, you know, so the last phase of the, of the Cameron Brooks kind of getting to the, your company, um, that point where you went through the follow-up interviews and ultimately making a decision, any other advice on how to think through that for uh, the listeners? I think the biggest piece would be to look at the long term. I So Michelin's headquarters of the position I was originally in was in Greenville, South Carolina. I did not necessarily want to move to Greenville, South Carolina, um, which is, Greenville's a great town um, and it you know, worked well. My, my family's three hours away in Charleston. But at, at first I was a little hesitant to accept that position due to that. Um, keep an open mind because when I really sat down and I discussed it with friends and family, I realized that the position, even though at first it wasn't the exact one that I wanted uh, compared to the others that I had offers for, I knew that in the long term it was going to give me the opportunity to get to where I wanted to go in my career. And it ended up happening that way and we can go into what happened over that next couple of years with Michelin if you'd like. Yeah, let's jump into that because you were supposed to go to Greenville for two years and it uh, took a hard left turn to Dallas. Definitely. So the, the program was supposed to be two years uh, originally. And um, it was a funny story because I, I literally, uh, I bought a house and I closed on it and the next day, uh, after one year in the program, I got a call from the VP of sales asking me if I wanted to be a regional sales manager in either Memphis, Dallas, or Seattle. So all of a sudden there was a ton of different options there and I ended up, ended up choosing Dallas, um, which was, you know, it was a really unique situation because I know that through the Cameron Brooks placement program, there's a lot of people that go directly into an individual sales role as a sales representative. Uh, but this actually put me in charge of a team of, uh, of sales representatives. And it was interesting as well because the company was going through a reorganization at the time. So I actually had to lean on my junior military officer experience of leading people through change because 
in the past, the sales teams had only consisted of truck tire sales reps. Okay. That year, we incorporated earth mover sales reps, and so there was some change management that had to be implemented there. Okay. And then at the beginning of this year, we we, we brought the agricultural team in there. Um, so at the end of the day, this this is the position where I wanted to be right in the long term, and I ended up getting there much quicker because of the initial position that I decided to take after the conference. What do you think you did in that year? That they you all of a sudden this VP locked in on you and said, "Hey, we can hop skip, not just the program, but the initial sales position puts you in a leadership role." I think that ties into another very foreign concept to JMOs, which is networking. Um, you know, showing up to Michelin. You know, and I think it was just my military, the infantry background. It's very easy to identify in the army who is who. The rank is there, the position is there in the office. When I show up to Michelin's headquarters there, uh, someone who's very maybe unassuming otherwise, that could be someone who is, uh, has a lot of influence within the organization. So um, I really, I attacked every, uh, every assignment that I was given with uh, you know, everything that I had to show that I really was trying to learn the business mm-hmm. and add value to the business even though I was new and inexperienced. And um, it ended up being this, the first rotation I went through after the initial sales training was what secured that regional manager role for me. And they, um, you know, they, I, it was a study that I had to do on our interaction of our sales force on uh, with distributors. Uh, presented it to the the VP and his staff. They ended up being really impressed by it. They actually asked me if I had an MBA based on how I put it together, and I said no. It's just how we did things in the military. So once again, it shows how that JMO experience is really valued in the uh, in the corporate world. And what I hear there's two things that you did. One is that you just did every everything, even the littlest things with a high focus on adding value wherever you could, Mm -hmm. even the simple things. And then the second thing is really building the relationships with inside the company to to create those opportunities. Uh, What what would be your tips for success for those that are, you know, that you've got two years under your belt now? Uh, Advice to those that are, you know, we just finished up our April conference. Mm -hmm. Uh, We, you know, in about two months, you're gonna have 45, 50, new JMOs from Cameron Brooks launching their careers, what would your tips be to them for the first two years? So from my, my experience in the corporate world, what helped me be successful was the humility I had learned as a platoon leader. So when I showed up to 2nd Cavalry Regiment in November of 2011, they had just deployed or returned from deployment to Afghanistan in May of that year. So I showed up, the new lieutenant, I didn't have the, you know, for those of you who aren't Army, the, the right patch that shows signifies a deployment. Right. And um, you know, being a humble leader as a platoon leader helped me understand how the organization worked and learn from my people and ultimately lead through them as opposed to trying to do everything on my own. The exact same, um, I used the exact same application when I became a regional sales manager because even though I had gone through nine weeks of, of sales rep training at the beginning of my time with the company, uh, you know, it had been eight months since I had done that. And uh, I showed up and I hadn't really sold a tire before. Uh, so I had to lean on my team and show them that I was, you know, I, that I didn't know everything and I was okay with not knowing everything, and lead through them to achieve sales results. And so just continue to do that like you were in the military, and I, I think you'll be successful. That's great. Anything else you want to add as we wrap up? No, I think um, I just want to say, you know, the, the Cameron Brooks experience was uh, was incredibly valuable to me. It I don't see how I would have really transitioned to a successful position the way I did without it. Um, you know, the team is, is uh, you know, you had me over yesterday and I, it's, really it's a family yeah. and that works there. 
Um, it's been interesting to come back on the other side of the table and recruit. Right. Um, and uh, I think some other people have said on other podcasts that we can you can really tell who's prepared and who hasn't. Right. So I just emphasize prepare for those interviews and you'll be successful. Mike, thanks a lot for making the trip down from Dallas and the invitation is always to open to come come back and tell another story, do another podcast, but certainly to come back and visit Fredericksburg and, and spend some uh, more co- downtime here, not just business time. <laughs>